been hanging around, you know that we started, I believe it was last October or November, so for quite a while, many, many Sundays, we have worked our way through the New Testament book of James, and we come today to the final remark that James left in this letter, chapter 5, verse 19 and 20. Before I read it, before we read it together, let me set a let me set a scene in your mind and ask you a question. <clears throat> Let's say you are traveling with someone. You're going, I don't know, you're going to another town to go shopping, maybe you're going to a wedding or whatever, and but for whatever reason you're in two different cars. Didn't work for you, maybe one of you has to leave ahead of the other, whatever. So you're driving and your friend is driving. And they're ahead of you, and you assume, of course, they know where they're going because you're both going to the same place. And to your horror or to your uh, dismay, you, as you're watching your friend ahead of you, they come to an intersection or a Y in the road or something, and they take the wrong turn. And you, they speed off going down here the wrong way, and you realize they really can't get there from the direction they're going. They got twisted up or something. And you just realize in that moment that uh, they literally have headed the wrong way. Um, What would you do in a situation like that? I mean, this is your friend. You have these plans to be together, and you see them speeding off, not paying attention or whatever, and you see them going the wrong way. I guess one option would be, well, you don't do anything. And you just say, well, I hope they have a good day wherever they are going. Uh, anybody would choose that option with your friend? I didn't think so. Uh, today, of course, we have these phones, so probably chances are they'd have a phone and you'd have a phone, so you'd call them immediately and say, uh, where are you going? Do you understand you're on the wrong road? Um, or in, if you didn't have that, Maybe you would take off after them and try to catch them and flash your lights or blow your horn or get around them or something like to wave to them, to pull them over, to explain to them, you made an error back here, Uh, you went the wrong way at the intersection. We would do something uh, to alert our friend that they had an issue. They, of course, were happily unaware of it, but we were aware of it. I had an uncle many, many years ago who was going, well, they were on vacation, and the, uh, my aunt wasn't feeling well, and it was just the two of them, and she decided to lay down in the back seats so she could have a little more room. And she, pulled her, she was cold, I guess, she pulled her coat over her, and she fell asleep. So my uncle's happily tooling along with his wife in the back seat asleep, and gets low on gas, pulls into a gas station. This was the old days where he actually had to go inside to pay. And he got his gas, went inside to pay. Well, at that precise time, my aunt got awake in the rear seat, looks up, looks around, realizes they're at a gas station, has to go to the restroom, so she hops inside. (laughs) Leaves her coat laying on the seat. So my uncle comes out, oblivious as he always was, jumps in the car and takes off. Now, they're out in Missouri or somewhere. I mean, they're, they're on vacation. They're, they're somewhere far from home. This was before cell phones, of course, and all that. 
And so, of course, then my aunt comes out to realize the parking lot's empty, and he's gone. And she didn't have a clue of what to do, so she calls the police <laughs> and describes to them my, my uncle's car and the road that he was on. And so the police say, oh, we'll help you, ma'am, and they jump in their car and vroom, they take off after him, and they caught him, and they pulled him over, and... The whole time he was oblivious and never looked in the back seat. But they caught him, or they got him, and said, uh, We need to tell you about the error of your ways. Aren't you supposed to have a woman in your back seat? And he looks in the mirror and he goes, Oh. <laughs> okay. Here's the final verse of the book of James. If any one of you should wander away from the truth, so there's going the wrong direction at the intersection, taking the wrong Y in the road, someone, and if someone should bring him back, uh, that's, a, that's a possibility, remember this, that whoever does this, whoever it is that speeds after the guy who's going the wrong way and gets him attention and gets him turned around and gets him back on track, whoever does that, here's, here's what you, how you're described. You have turned a sinner from the error of his way and will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins, which I take it to be describing forgiveness. That's what forgiveness is. God forgives us and our sins, no matter how many they are, they're covered over and they're gone. So you have brought about that process in your life, in, in this person's life. In other words, you have um, made up for the mistake, you, or you have erased the effects of the mistake that this person made, or the sins that this person's. I, I think that's what it's talking about in that final clause. You've covered over sins. In other words, if you've led someone back to a relationship with God, and God has forgiven them, whew, there's a lot of things that might have uh, be, been an issue in that person's day of judgment that are no longer going to be an issue because of your timely intervention in their lives. So, this is a sober, sobering uh, statement and thought about what are you going to do when you see your friend going the wrong way? We all have to choose if we're going to just say, have a good day, uh, knowing they're never going to get where they think they're going, or whether we go tearing after them or calling them, or in some way, he says, bring them back, whatever way. And you know, of course, there's as many different ways as there are circumstances in life. And sometimes we intervene in a, in a, in a sort of a confrontational way, sometimes in a very quiet way, but the intention is to bring them back. To get, them, to get them back on track. So, he talks about wandering from the truth. Uh, I'm going to try something here. Nope, okay. Um, this uh, could be one of two possibilities. I guess it could be one of a number of possibilities. But the first one that I want to talk about is just simply the fact that sometimes people get led astray in what they believe. 
and the historic Orthodox Christian doctrine or teaching gets left behind. I suppose most of the cults that we refer to, groups that we refer to as a cult, somewhere had a leader who probably was part of a Christian church, a Christian community, probably had a foundation in the gospel, the Christian teachings, and somehow or other they went off on a tangent, and they wandered away intellectually from, from the truth, and eventually got other people around them and so far forth and got a, got a group going. Uh, Paul, and he, in his letter to the Galatians in uh, a church that he had started in modern-day Turkey, um, Paul said to them in chapter 3, you, you started out so well on your journey. He said, you know, you received the gift of the Spirit. And now you act like that you have to attain your salvation by your good works. And he said, I'd like to know who has bewitched you. Who has bamboozled you? You are foolish, he says. You foolish Galatians. In other words, you're going the wrong road. You started out understanding the grace of the gospel. And now... You are uh, somehow, you're off in the weeds and acting as if the grace thing isn't that important. What's important is that you obey all of God's laws and you oppress God and so forth. So Paul is calling them to task. He's, he's giving them a call and saying, you, you, you've got on the wrong track. And he calls them foolish. And he says, somebody has bamboozled you and intellectually you have gotten off track. Uh, this happens. I think it's quite rare compared to the second category that I mentioned, and that is morally wandered off track. And to those same people, to that same group in chapter 4, Paul addresses that issue as well. And he says, you know, you used to be slaves to certain practices and certain parts of your culture that had ensnared you, you used to be saved, and then you came to God. And now you're going back to those same practices that enslaved you. This is in chapter 4. And he says, what is wrong? Why are you falling away? Why are you veering off of the path of freedom that you had been on? This isn't an intellectual situation. But this is the very common practice that we often see where someone got started. It seemed like they had come to the Lord. It seemed as if they were joyful and, and confident in their salvation. And then later, maybe they're attending church. They're involved in a community of, of the Lord. And then we look up a year later and we say, whatever happened to them? Where are they at? Why did they pull away? And there's usually as many more questions than there are answers. But somehow or other, they've wandered away morally in their practice, in their, in their, um, in their relationships from where they were before. So there's some, these are just possibilities of what he's talking about, James, when he says, if someone wanders away from the truth, it might be... A, a more intellectual side, it might be more the behavioral side, it really doesn't matter, because James says, someone, someone needs to bring them back. 
if someone wanders and if someone would go speeding after them, blowing on the horn or flashing the lights or uh, calling the cops as my aunt did for, after my uncle. Um, someone. And this is, of course, the big issue. This is, of course, our own, each of us without exception in this room. It is a, this is our moment to say, will I be such a someone? Will I be a person, this person, this someone who would bring, who would bring or seek to bring others back? This is, uh, this is witnessing. This is evangelism. This is uh, Christian urgency um, in practice because I understand that this road that they're on is not going to lead where they want to go. And, and so, here's some questions. I meant to bring them up one by one, but I'm going to get them all at once. So, uh, Here's some questions. Do I have enough concern? Do I have enough concern? These are questions for you to ponder in your own heart, in your own prayers to the Lord. When a friend of yours or a family member of yours or a neighbor or a co-worker, you have noticed or seen or observed that they've wandered off from the truth, then I want you to think about this word in James's letter, someone, and say, well, why would I think that that's supposed to be the preacher, for example? Or why would I think that that's supposed to be the deacon? Or why would, couldn't someone be me? Why can't I run after them and flash my lights a little bit? Why can't I talk to them? Why, do I have enough concern? In other words, does it really, do I really care where they end up? That's the ultimate part of that. The second question. Am I willing to risk the reputation that sometimes comes for people who flash their lights and blow their horn? And that is that you sure are meddling in my business. Um, what are, why do you have to be so overbearing? Who do you think you are? Uh, what, why are you so bossy? This is my life and my choices. You know, I've observed that people often do get very defensive when you try to, try to tell them they're on the wrong road. Um, not always, but <clears throat> sometimes they do. And I just want to say to you that if you seek to bring someone back and get them back on track and they accuse you of being overwhelming and over, over bossy and know-it-all and all these kind of things, and if you're not, in other words, you know in your heart that you are not arrogant and you are not, have not been overbearing and you're, you're simply operating or talking to them out of concern and love and that's it. If they accuse you, I just want to remind you of something. Jesus himself said, they don't hate you. They hate me. That's what Jesus said. When, when you get the brunt of someone's blowback, Jesus said, they don't really hate you. They hate me. He said that, uh, I think, on several occasions. Well, I stand up to my own fear of doing something, of witnessing in some way, of saying something, of trying something, of speaking my heart, will I stand up to that or to the cultural defensiveness that I know is going to be there? Will I stand up to that in order that I can say I stood up for Christ? That's my question for you to ponder and consider in your own heart. 
In other words, what do you want to stand up for? Are you willing to... If standing up for Christ means that you stand up to the, the, the possible criticism of trying to interfere in somebody's life, are you willing, are you willing to do that? And fourth question, just to ponder, I, I, uh, I just wonder why we would pray for somebody that we won't talk to. You know, I, I mean, I suppose the answer is, well, it's easy to pray for somebody. Anybody can do that in the quietness of your own heart and bedroom. Nobody needs to even know you're praying for them to get back on track. Lord, bring so-and-so back. Uh, that's an easy thing to do, and I'm not downplaying it. It's very important for us to pray for those who have wandered from the truth that someone would show them the error of their ways. Um, that's very wonderful and necessary to do, but it's easy to do that compared to often saying, <clears throat> do you realize <clears throat> that you're off track? Do you realize that you're, wondered, that you're, you're on a highway headed to hell? You realize this? Rather than the highway headed to heaven. These are some thought-provoking questions for us to ask ourselves. Now, he talks about... Uh, he talks about bringing them back. Bringing them back. Someone, if someone should bring them back. You know... Sometimes, when we're trying to speak to somebody regarding the error of their ways, it can get pretty interesting. You never know quite what to expect. Um, I mean, if you're civil, it's usually always civil, but you just don't know how stubborn a person could be. A month or so ago, uh, there was a goat in our yard at our house. Neighbor has goats, and they, this one... Very big goat, very large female goat, kept getting into our yard. And so I had to have the task of speaking to her about the error of her ways, <laughs> which meant that I was going to try to get her back on track on the other side of the fence so that Cindy's flowers would not be on her menu. <laughs> and so I approached this goat and we had our conversation which consisted of me taking hold of her by the horns to lead her back to the truth. And you wouldn't believe it. You wouldn't believe it what she did. She put her head down and threw all four feet down like this. And man, she drug off. You probably can't see. It's like this. She drug all four feet, as you can imagine. So I'm pulling her by the horn, having a friendly, persuasive conversation. <laughs> and I'm dragging her, I guess, and she's got all four feet. It's not just goats that can be stubborn. <laughs> so can people. And when you say to them, you need to get back on track, you need to get back on track. Sometimes it can get very interesting. But this is the goal. This is what he says. And I wanted to use these four words to say that usually it seems to me that somehow all four of these are necessary 
in some combination to get a person back on track. You know, I have spoken to people who haven't drugged their feet at all. I've spoken to people who very, who, 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 who very emotionally said to me, you are exactly right. And I appreciate so much you having this conversation with me. They don't always drag their feet. Because sometimes they knew all along they were on the wrong road. And they just were bowing to pressure themselves of some kind or other. Or they were going through something crazy. And to have someone come and lovingly blow their horn and flash their lights and say, you're going the wrong direction, is a relief to them. We always need truth. And that's what we have here. I mean, how do we know which is the right direction? How do we know if somebody's wandered from the truth? This is the truth. And so it could be, uh, it could be that we emphasize the warning part of the truth. You're on the highway to hell. You need to turn around. Or it could be that we need to emphasize the vision part of the truth. You're miserable. Look at you. Listen to you. Look at your life, how it's falling apart. Look at your marriage, your relationships. Look at your finances. You're a mess. You know why? Because you're not living God's way. And give them the vision of a life of joy and peace and maybe prosperity. At least a life that God can bless in some way. So whether it's the warning side of the truth or whether it's the positive, more vision side of the truth, there's always, we have to, we have to explain to people how we know they're on the wrong road or how, how we can be certain that they've wandered off and here, over here where it is that they need to be. And they also have to understand that we're not hired guns. We're not doing this because somehow or other we're profiting from it or being paid or whatever. We love them. And that's our motive in being able or willing to, to point out to them, to confront them, to witness to them, to explain. It's just somehow or other we have to have as part of this package love. If, 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 if the person don't think you love them, they may not react nearly as authentically. Uh, but then also, it's not enough just to love. There's many people we love, but yet they've wandered from the truth. And if all we ever do is love them, they'll still keep wandering from the truth. Somehow we have to, this is the part where the rubber meets the road. This is the part um, where sometimes people have different opinions or op approaches about how to do this. But there's got to be an attempt to persuade people. Paul said, look, seeing Seeing the seriousness of this matter, I seek to persuade men. That means somehow talking, somehow explaining and, and, and selling the truth. And I think also, and I'm not sure this is always understood, but sometimes a little encouragement goes a long way. If you feel like someone at least is listening or considering the, mo the message when you're saying, Sorry, you need to turn around. You went the wrong direction. Um, and they say, oh, really? Even, even that little bit of consideration, encourage them, encourage them, encourage them, encourage them. That's great. You're listening. That's the first part. That's the first step. Let me tell you more. And, and, and encouraging 
is, is such a, a big part of it. And James refers to them here as a sinner. If you turn a sinner from the error of his ways, whoever turns a sinner, this is a harsh language in today's world. But this is what the, the language of the Bible. Jesus said, Matthew 9, I didn't come to help. I didn't come to call people who are already sitting at the table. I came to, I came to seek sinners. Paul said to Timothy, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. You know, Jesus himself told a story about two different guys and their prayers. And the one guy was quite arrogant, and the second guy was so overwhelmed with emotion. His prayer wasn't even long. He just said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said that guy's future was changed because of the reality of his understanding of the sin, of the error, in other words, of his own ways. And here's, I mean, what James says here is, if whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways is going to save him from death, and he's going to cover over a multitude of sins. And I, I just uh, I don't know really what to say about that last part. I put in your sermon notes here, how can words describe the importance of a person's eternal destiny? You know, Jesus said, look, if you have all the world, if you own all the world, and you somehow gave it for your soul, you would be making a good deal. Your soul is worth more, in other words, than all the world. And it's not worth selling yourself, for, selling it for anything. It's not worth getting your soul on the wrong road for any price. So the immense... The immensity of the miracle of turning someone's life around in their direction and helping to the, cooperating with God in the process of getting them back on track is indescribable. It's the greatest thing of all the opportunities you ever have to do, ever get to have in, in your life. The greatest of any opportunity that you'll ever have is, is, is simply that, to be able to um, as I say down here in this last little, I, I think it might be in a box, to assist Christ. Well, let me see. Maybe it's up here. Well, here's what Jesus said. If you, if you, if you lose the word, uh, you can read it. I can't read. If you want to save your life, you're going to lose it. In other words, if you want to insist on going down the wrong road, you're, you're still not going to get there. But there's nothing worth exchanging your soul for. Evangelism is a great privilege and joy of life to be able to participate in God's goal and assist Christ in His mission. How do we, we really get to assist Christ? Yes. This is the analogy that the Scripture gives to us. He is the head and we are the body. I'm sorry, I, I wasn't listening to that. I missed the message. He's the head and we're the body. I know this all happens in one fluid motion. We don't even think of it. But every time your legs move, they move because your head told to go somewhere. Told them to go somewhere. Maybe your head said, I'm hungry. Your mind, I'm hungry. So you ordered your legs to pick you up, take you to the kitchen so you can have breakfast. Or get in the car to go to McDonald's or wherever you're going to have breakfast. Your, your mind sets the agenda, and then your body carries that out. 
So the body is in cooperation with the head. This is the analogy given to us in Scripture of Jesus and his mission and his goal and we who assist him in the earthly side of things. In other words, when someone has gone into the uh, wandered away from the truth, it is not usually a flashing light or blowing horn from heaven that pulls them over. It could be, that's what happened to Paul in Dema- on this road to Damascus. Remember, he said, man, I was just going down the road, having a wonderful day, intent on killing somebody today, and boom. I mean, the Lord showed him the error of his ways. He knocked him off his horse, but usually it doesn't happen that way. Usually, the Lord uses us. And I'm simply saying, uh, it's not a fearful thing. It is a great privilege for us. We need to understand that in our mind. It is a great privilege for us to be able to participate with God in His goal of bringing sinners back to truth. Um, Is it... Always simple or easy or fun or popular? No, again, because we don't want to, you know, we don't want somebody to say we're bossy. We don't want somebody to say, oh, mind your own business. And so that gives us great pause. Um, I, uh, she's okay. We'll be all right. I'm almost done. She's trying to tell me that. (laughs) I was thinking about... I know, I understand. Let me tell a quick story or let me do something. (laughs) Bob Dylan wrote a song called It Ain't Me. And it's a song that always kicks me in the gut when I hear it. Um, It starts out by saying, you need a friend. You need a companion. You need a lover. You need someone to hold you. I'm I'm making these words up, but this is the gist of it. You need somebody to hold you when you're lonely. You need somebody to go to accompany you on long walks and have long talks. In other words, you, you need someone. You deserve someone. You're looking for someone. And it all sounds so romantic. You know, it sounds so inspirational and encouraging and and. You think it's a love song. You think he's going to say, and I'm the one you are looking for. And your heart's just pumped up saying, oh, this is so wonderful. You need someone and you deserve someone. And I'm going to be that someone. I mean, that's how most love songs go. And then this song comes around to the chorus and it says, but it ain't me, babe. No, 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 it ain't me. It ain't me you're looking for. Every time I hear it, I feel like I just had a knife to my chest. Like it, 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 built, it built me up and then slammed me to the floor. I know you need someone. You need someone to love you, but it ain't me. And I, I think this song often describes our Christian attitude about reaching out and witnessing and and, and speaking to folks about the error of their ways. We say, Lord, I understand you need help in this world. You can't just knock everybody off their horse. 
You need someone to witness for you. There's people wandering the wrong way. But it ain't me, babe. No, no, no. Uh, And that's why James is saying this. Ponder. Ponder the realization of what putting up maybe with a little feet dragging on someone's part or a little false accusations about being nosy or bossy or whatever. Ponder what that means compared to the fact that maybe you'll turn them from the error of their ways and maybe, maybe you will save them from death and a whole lot of sins will be buried under the endless forgiveness of the Lord. That's, the, that's the, the positive side that James... These are his final remarks to these people. And this is the, the, um, the positive side of what... So, in other words, what I'm saying is whenever we think those kind of thoughts about this poor person or this sorry person here or this pathetic person who's wandered away from the truth and they... They deserve someone to tell them they need someone. That's when we need to sing a new song to the Lord and say, It is me, Lord. Yes, yes, yes. It is me, Lord. It's me you're looking for. That's my thought. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this word, this reminder, this motivation. Thank you for the way, the truth. Let us be constantly happy and excited for whatever opportunity we may have, not about the fact that someone's on the wrong way, but that we may be able to help to draw them back to you. As we, as we realize the enormity and the, the, the possibility and the joyfulness we, wanted, we, we just want to thank you for allowing us even to participate in some way in something that is a, is a rescue operation and has eternal consequences wherever and however we can. And we realize, Lord, that each of these situations are individual. Each one is different. But so are we. And you give us, as needed, the resources. So we, uh, we just ask for your help and Pray that even today, you will put someone on our mind that maybe, maybe even could be here with us next week because we had a conversation to help to turn them from the error of their ways. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Can we sing a chorus? I forget what it is. You'll have to help me. Oh, there you go. Can we stand, please? my Sunday morning prayer. And may I bravely do my part to win that soul for Thee. Go with us as we leave this service, as we leave this room, this place. May Your Spirit so energize and fill us today. 
that we realize that nothing is impossible because all things are possible to him who believes. In the name of Christ, our Savior, we, we pray.